Welcome to episode 35 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusty co-host... Jackson the Sun, and I'm so excited to discuss a movie by the acclaimed director of such classics as 1993's hit drama, Me and the Kid. Hey now, hey now, hey now. Oh, boy. Taking shots at my man Dan Curtis. Well... (laughs) We are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the films we discuss, so be warned. And this week, we are discussing Jackson's pick, Dead of Night, from 1977. This is the dead of night. It has nothing to do with time. It can happen in sunshine or in moonlight, in the best of weather or the worst. For the dead of night is a state of mind. That dark, unfathomed region of the human consciousness from which all the unknown terrors of our lives emerge. The dead of night exists in all of us, and no one knows at what strange, unexpected moment it will make itself known. And so, tonight, for your entertainment, three tales, one of mystery, one of imagination, and one of terror. Uh, Dead of Night is currently streaming on Tubi TV and Shudder. If you've never seen it, you can catch it on there. So, as I said, this is a TV movie from the late, great Dan Curtis. Rest in peace. He had a run in the 70s. No matter what he did in the 90s, he had a run in the (laughs) 70s that was incredible. He produced and or directed Dark Shadows, Mm -hmm. um, The Night Stalker, which for years was the highest rated TV movie ever. Mm -hmm. The Night Strangler. Uh, the Norless Tapes, which I really like, and you should check out. It's uh, You can find it on YouTube last time I checked. And, of course, Trilogy of Terror, as well as his versions of Dracula and Frankenstein. All worth your time. Do you, are you familiar with any of those, Bob? Uh, I had I had heard of Trilogy of Terror, and I watched clips of his Bram Stoker's Dracula, which people often confuse with the Coppola version. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's very different. It's it's a lot more theatrical, I would say, than the Coppola version. Um, so yeah, from what I've seen from him, he is a very talented director. Though I fear, and we'll talk about this uh, later, I'm sure, that he didn't have the budget he was he was hoping he would have for this movie. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I would definitely also check out the Norlis tapes. I think that's mm-hmm. worth it on YouTube. So I was born in 1972. Yes, I'm that old. So I actually missed out on most of these the first time around because, you know, my uh, minister father wasn't big on letting his four or five year old, you know, watch horror TV movies. <laughs> um, but good listeners, let me take you back to a time. Do my old man thing before the Internet, before cell phones. Back before- in my day. Yeah, before cable was widely available, mm-hmm. uh, before video stores, in fact, before most people even had this thing called a VHS player, movies of the week were one of the, on the three major networks, was a big deal. So you got to remember, you only had NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS, um, and if the president was addressing the nation, you were a kid, you were screwed because you had nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember seeing The Jerk and Moonraker and Jaws 2. All of them edited, of course, on TV with the fam. You'd pop popcorn like Jiffy Pop. You'd drink way too much soda, and you'd watch the movie, and you'd run to pee during the commercials. It was a big deal. It was a big deal in a different world. One you've never experienced. You're not quite 17. Nope. I've got everything on demand. I've got it real good. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, so this thing premiered on NBC on March 29th, 1977. I couldn't find ratings information for it, but I'd be willing to bet that more people watch this just because of the times than ever watched a lot of hit shows, you know, from the last 20 years. You know, I read the Game of Thrones finale drew 19 million viewers, mm-hmm. but Happy Days back in the 70s on a weekly basis drew an average of 23 million. Yeah. I mean, and the movie of the week, what I saw, what I could find was the movie of the week typically drew about 15 million on average. So yeah. a lot of people to watch this. Yeah. And, and I think that's, um, that's probably, see, I'm just trying to empathize with the director and I feel like there are some great ideas in the short that weren't fully capitalized on because of the time constraint and the budget. Um, and I was watching it and I was like, man, I would love to remake some of these segments with a, with a proper budget. And, uh, and because I can, I can imagine like being disappointed that you had to kind of, uh, uh, restrict that creative vision to fit it on TV and have it, you know, pass the censors and uh, fit in the time allotted. Oh, sure. It was, yeah, the, the censors were a big deal. Um, so this was on a, it premiered on a Tuesday night too, which I'm not sure that was a big <laughs> night in March for, for horror. Um, so just to put this in context, the number one song at the time was Rich Girl by Hall & Oates. Oh, great. This ran against uh, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, um, and eight is enough over on ABC, which probably meant it didn't win the ratings award. It also ran against something called Who's Who on CBS, which I don't remember that. So, but anyway, enough of that. Dead of Night is a horror anthology with three segments: time travel segment with Ed Begley Jr., which has kind of an amazing stories kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Then we have a how shall we put this? A vampire tale? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> It's, it's uh, more like the traditional version of vampires that you'd see, like in a, like not Nosferatu, but the very first movie, The Vampire, where she's just kind of this stereotypical um, bringer of death, and that she's she's not actually a supernatural being; she just kills people by draining their blood. Uh, we'll talk about that. This is a spoiler podcast, so yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, it, it. Think along the lines: this could have been an Alfred Hitchcock presents kind Mm -hmm. of tale with a twist. And then we have essentially an adaptation of the story, the monkey's Paul for the third segment, which Mm -hmm. Curtis would recycle in trilogy of terror two in the nineties. So he would redo this one, but so let's just jump into this. What are your thoughts? Let's start at the beginning with segment one, the Ed Begley jr. Traveling back to the 1920s because he restored a car from the 1920s. Yeah, so, okay, so I had no idea what to expect when we're coming in on the opening narration, and this guy is like, uh, he says something really cool, like, the dead of night is a state of mind, and I was like, wow, we're getting real existential here, and then the first story we get is basically a Twilight Zone episode, this this um, urban legend sort of thing, where this guy finds this um, old, crashed-up car, and there's a story behind it about how these people, you know, they're trying to race a train and then they got uh, T-boned by it and flipped over and they both died. Uh, well, when when our, our friend uh, Stan Sitwell from Arrested Development fixes up the, the car and starts driving it out on this old country road, he finds himself back in the 1920s uh, in the town where he's grown up. And um, 
it, it's it's kind of turns into the sci-fi mystery at that point. There isn't so much horror in this. It's, it's more of a, of a of a mystery tale, and it kind of hints at that in the beginning uh, with the narration, which says you know it kind of lays out what the stories are going to be like. But um, I wasn't really invested in this story. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's it, it grabbed me enough to really leave a lasting impact on me when the, when the huge reveal was, uh, you know, presented to you at the end. Uh, I do think the acting is good in this in this um, short, though I do think the internal narration, there's a lot of internal dialogue from our protagonist. I think it goes a bit far at some points. But... The standout feature for me is the set design, how when he goes back into the 1920s, the town has been transformed uh, into this 1920s set. Kind of cool, kind of hints at what Back to the Future would do later on. Um, and I think that maybe was an inspiration for it, though there were other stories like this before uh, the segment in Dead of Night. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is, and this was the kind of thing that in the 1980s, Steven Spielberg produced a TV show called Amazing Stories mm -hmm. and had a lot of his friends direct things. Toby Hooper directed a few, all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's got that kind of feel to it. Almost there's, there's nothing horrific about this. It's kind of no. a, kind of a, uh, kind of a more upbeat Twilight Zone episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only um, the only kind of where I thought it was going to be going is that he was stuck in the 1920s, but it kind of undoes that he wakes up the next morning and he's back in the 70s. So um, there wasn't really any any horror in this. It's more it's more just about the philosophy of uh, the butterfly effect almost that he went back in time and he, he just delayed this person for one second. So now he's going to get married to this girl that would have never existed if he hadn't intervened um, and all that kind comes back to this kind of uh, magical car. But the thing is, I don't think that it, it had enough time to really explore all the things it wanted to because I would have liked to see him kind of stuck in the 20s trying to get back to present day, but we only really spend like five or six minutes there because the whole short in total is less than 20 minutes, um, which is pretty disappointing for me. This whole movie in total is three shorts, and it's an hour and 13 minutes, whereas something like Cat's Eye is like closer to an hour 40, though that does have like transitional elements to it. It has like a story that overarches between the stories, and this is more just cutting between stories, almost like a t I guess it is a TV show, uh, like The Twilight Zone. But it's just... Uh, there's not, this isn't a horror story for me. It's more like a sci-fi mystery. Yeah. I was trying to look up the, uh, the runtime on this cause it's, it is short mm -hmm. and obviously they've cut the, um, the commercials out. Yeah. And so, but it, it's not, I, I can say this safely, not being able to find it. Um, it's not even 90 minutes. I mean, it's probably mm -hmm. 80 minutes. I'm guessing it's, it's short. So it's, this will not take a lot of your, your time. Um, so thumbs up or down on segment one? I would say, uh, thumbs up, but only slightly. If I were to rate this segment on its own, I would give it a five to a 5.5 out of 10 and that there's nothing bad about it, but nothing really grabs you throughout the entire thing. You're kind of looking for some development to happen, but it goes exactly where you would expect. 
Yeah, yeah. But it does have Ed Begley Jr. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Transylvania 65,000 fan, then mm-hmm. uh, there you go. And More he is good development. At- yeah, he, I, I can, all I could see the entire time was Stan Sitwell, the guy uh, uh, from Arrested Development who lives with maybe in the retirement home. And it's kind of weird seeing him so young. But again, I think he does a good job. You, you're there with him. And uh, even if you don't care about cars, you can see it in his eyes. He's real excited about every single time somebody talks about a car. So I think that's the best part of the story is his uh, acting. I'm glad we see it through his POV uh, rather than any other character, though I don't think they give him a lot to do. No, but it's kind of interesting him seeing him not play a goofball for for once exactly yeah yeah he's more he's more like starry-eyed uh he's he's just an everyday like average joe so that that's um a strange role for him to fill but he does it well like i said yeah yeah i think so well it's it's a you know slight thumbs up for me as as well um it was interesting i was looking at the uh viewer reviews over on shutter mm-hmm. and a number of people just said they thought that um it was boring and they thought this was the slowest one slowest segment it wasn't slow. I felt I de- it definitely did not feel more than twenty minutes like the short was, um, but uh, it, it it didn't grab me like I said. And I I would have preferred for there to be more horror elements in this because with the second and third, I think it actually accelerates in terror as it goes. Uh, but for the uh, for the first segment, it's like I said, more of just a drama mystery, like something we would see on a slow week for the Twilight Zone. Uh, and it's not really like something hugely original that grabbed me. So like, like I agree with you. It's a 5.5 for me. I think out of 10, I will be rating these segments as we go. And then I kind of, I kind of added them up and averaged them to get the, the movie as a total, but I'd be interested to see what you think of the, of the next two. Okay. Yeah. I I'm with you. 5.5 sounds about right for segment one. So let's move on to segment two. What do you think about segment two? Now, I was worried that it would also be much of the same without a lot of development, but um, the ending kind of brought it back for me. I thought it was mediocre um, throughout most of the runtime of the second segment, but the ending was really clever and uh, almost Edgar Allan Poe-esque for me mm-hmm. uh, with this kind of vigilante justice sort of thing. Um, and I and I liked it a lot. That brought it from mediocre to pretty good for me. Uh, so... I also think it leans more into the horror aspects because we have this looming sense of dread throughout the entire runtime that this vampire might appear at any moment, though our dreams are kind of crushed at the end of it when we reveal there is no vampire other than, you know, the guy who's been acting as vampire to get his revenge. Um it's almost Scooby-Doo-esque in a way where this guy, you know, <laughs> has this plot and it's not really a vampire. It's just some guy. But in this, he actually Except gets Except there were no darn kids. Yeah, so, exactly. So he, there yeah. are no meddling kids. So he gets away with it. Um, and I, I like that. It, it, the ending definitely saved it for me. I was going to write this one off as probably even worse because uh, I couldn't really decide what time period it was set in. Because the first shot makes us believe it's it's Renaissance, it's uh, medieval almost. And then we cut inside and they're in suits. And I was like, oh, is this Victorian era? It was kind of unclear for me. Uh, but yeah, it kind of it kind of with the accents and everything. I was guessing that it's like eight. 19th century maybe mid 19th century britain or something but we we should tell people who haven't seen it if you haven't seen this um essentially you have a husband who tells his uh, superstitious uh butler and his friend 
and I'm putting that in air quotes, mm-hmm. that he's afraid that his wife is being attacked by a vampire and they stay up all night and all this other kind of stuff. And it turns out that the wife and best friend are having an affair mm-hmm. and is the husband who's been causing the, causing the puncture wounds and all kind of stuff so that he can drive his superstitious butler to murder <laughs> his best yep. friend who mm-hmm. thinks he's a vampire. And we don't find that out to to the end. But and I yeah, I dug this one. I, I agree. The ending kind of saved it. If it had been some kind of hokey vampire that showed up at the end, you know, I think that would have been bad. But I I think that the husband sells it and it's played by wait for it, wait for it, Patrick McNee, who horror fans will know primarily from do you know? No, no idea. Dr. George Wagner from The Howling. Oh, so he's gone from uh, vampires to werewolves. To werewolves. In fact, he, in The Howling, I, well, I shouldn't spoil that. I'm just saying that he is a he is a psychotherapist in The Howling who talks uh, Dee Wallace after she's been uh, attacked by a um, what they suspect is a serial killer to come to his little, you know, village, his little retreat, you know, where he's helping people and uh, and it turns out it's a pack of werewolves so but Mm -hmm. he is he is great in this yeah my favorite moment of the of the short uh for me is when the husband comes down he's just put uh his friend and i'm using air quotes again in the coffin and made him look like a vampire he goes down to the butler he's like carlson carlson and the butler is like freaking out he's like he's like a dog that you've gotten excited he's like what what he's like the vampire we gotta search everywhere for it he is a sociopath. I mean, he's manipulating everybody around him. We see from the very beginning. I think if you were, if I were to rewatch this with that in mind, with the twist in mind, you might be able to see some hints that he's not being 100% genuine whenever he's talking to people. Because though he completely dissuades the idea that a vampire might exist, he's still having people do stuff for him to like put in people's minds that there might be a vampire. I mean, how like inconspicuous can you be with a giant carriage full of garlic coming into town i mean the townspeople are going to notice that so um yeah he did a great job i think the acting overall was pretty good though he is definitely the standout oh yeah uh in 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 the short and he obviously went on to have a great horror career so i would give this segment a seven out of ten for me uh, and I would say it's a, a marked, marked improvement of, of the first segment. It definitely leaned more into a horror uh, theme, more so than a mystery, though it still has those like mystery undertones. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. I'm with you. I think seven's a good rating. Um, I think it's primarily, it's the twist, and it's, it's Patrick McNee that sells it. So I enjoyed it. I, mm-hmm. You know, so... Segment three. Somehow, I think this may be your favorite one. Yeah, though that's tough. I want to talk about it, though. Um, All right, let's go. Let's dig into it, because this is the, like the monkey paw thing. Mm-hmm. You've got a um, a woman played by Joan Hackett, mm-hmm. uh, who I just saw last night and something very non-horrorish. Um, <laughs> support your local uh, sheriff with James Garner, and she's in that. But... Um, Joan Hackett, who, who tragically died very young. Um, she died in 1983, so just six years after this came out. Um, she is a grieving mother who has lost a son. She believes that a pagan ritual might bring him back. And lo and behold, um, what appears to be her son mm-hmm. shows up at the door and things kind of 
go south from there. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, that that's that doesn't give too much away, though it does set it up pretty well. Uh, this is all about being foreboding and kind of keeping you guessing as the short goes on. Already, when, when this short began, I knew that it would probably be my favorite, or at least up there for me, because it has this awesome, like, foreboding and ominous intro uh, with this lady alone in this house. She's drawing this ritualistic circle. She's talking on the phone with her husband about Bobby and and, and how mysterious this whole thing is. We're, we're, we're not really sure what exactly happened until uh, the end of the short, though the protagonist tries to convince us that something happened. Uh, that's not really what happened, and we learned that from the Bobby doppelganger. But um, so uh, the camera work in this short, in this short, I think sets it apart because the rest of them were kind of locked down. They're on sticks, um, very predictable. But this has a lot of movement in it. It's really dynamic, and I think that adds to the frantic energy of it. Um, and uh, the I think the story overall, though it is derived from that old monkey paw story, though it is uh, very played out, it's interesting to see it uh, through the lens of Dan Curtis because it definitely has that howling feel that, uh, uh, not, not it's like, I don't know, not the howling, Trilogy of Terror feel, where yeah. it's just like very theatrical um, and, and creepy and foreboding, like an urban legend. We're watching an urban legend unfold before our eyes. Though I I will say that the acting in some parts is a little over dramatic. I think that's exactly how it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. It's like we're watching a play unfold before us. Like the the scene where the mother is um is conducting this pagan ritual and she's doing this whole thing. My son who drowned by accident. He drowned by accident. She's hitting that over and over again. We're like, okay, so she's really trying to hint that that might not be what actually happened. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's. Yeah, it's a Chekhov's gun, kind of almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah kinda, and and yeah. then and then she's quoted later on by uh, the Bobby clone. Um, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. That obvious exposition, that obvious setup for uh, the twist at the end, but uh, it did hint toward towards what would happen later. So. The scene that really shifted this from uh, good to really good for me was the scene where she's alone in the house and she hears a scratching downstairs. Uh, and she's walking really slowly down the stairs. There's thunder outside and there's, there's scratching at the door. And she, there's just silence out there. And she's like, who is it? And for a fraction of a second, a grown man's voice answers before it shifts into a little boy's voice. I don't know if you noticed that, but it starts off with, no, with a I really. Didn't, oh, I, it I missed starts, that. It starts off with a really deep mommy, and then it kind of shifts into a little boy's voice, like it hasn't fully assembled the form of Bobby yet, um, which really terrified me. I mean, I was listening to this with headphones on, so I could hear it really well. I felt like I was immersed in it, and I heard that voice shift down into a little boy's voice. And I was freaked out. I knew something bad was about to happen. Though when she opens the door, it seems that all is well. You know, Bobby comes in, um, but then kind of all hell breaks loose from there. Yeah, when a kid who's supposedly been in the ocean mm-hmm. um, suddenly says he doesn't want anything to eat, he wants to play hide and seek, you can pretty much yeah. guess something bad is going to happen. Yeah, it, I mean... It, 
Bobby could fit in theoretically with Isaac and the children of the corn gang because he's creepy, but he's also really annoying. Uh, she's trying to make him sandwiches and he, he throws all the plates off the table onto the ground. And is like, I want to play hide and seek now. You're like, okay, I'm going to throw you right back in the ocean. Um, he's he's not so much um a creepy kid like um the omen he's more so like he's he's teenage he's 13 i would say 12 or 13 i'd say you're right yeah he's old enough to be physically kind of uh physically intimidating to this woman uh but he still feels like a bratty teen so it's kind of this weird line that bobby is walking as a character um Though I think it's more the performance of his face that makes him terrifying, and that he's always super animated like Jim Carrey, but a sinister version of that, and that he's always like he's got really wide eyes and he's always smiling really uh like like an unhinged uh person so I mean i it's kind of hard to explain because a lot of this this short isn't so much about what's actually transpiring and more the mood it's setting and the ambience of it. I mean, she's in this dark home with this little boy who's insisted to play hide-and-seek with her, and you can hear his voice echoing throughout the whole house like, Mommy, gotta catch me. Um, it's almost reminiscent of something like Insidious, where you've got that weird haunted kid in this dark house. Um mm-hmm. But it's it's also lit by uh, lightning, which makes it all the more uh, theatrical and and, and uh, melodramatic. And I think the ending of this short, the twist that we experience at the end, is is the best ending. Uh, of the whole thing and it's also probably the most iconic because of the poster of this movie which features uh the last shot which kind of ruins it i think because i i was like oh yeah it's a poster thing but um i was looking forward to seeing that face at some point and i got it so i wasn't disappointed um i i, I don't f- i feel like i'm hogging the microphones too much i want to hear no I, but did you i was wondering because yeah that's that final image of kind of evil Bobby, if you want to say, I guess, Doppler Bobby, um, that is the poster. Did you want more of him? Did you think there'd be like the doll yeah. and Trilogy of Terror, there'd be more of him chasing her around? I definitely did think that um, they would hide his face and shut. So he would be revealed as Bobby and then he would run off into the dark and we wouldn't see him until the end to the last like two minutes where his face would be revealed and he would be chasing this woman around the mansion and, you know, being all creepy with that weird uh, monster face. It's really well done, though I feel like the reason they kept it in a minimum is because they thought you would notice after a while, like, how it was done, how the makeup was applied. I think for that one shot, when he just kind of flashes into the light and approaches her, it's really, like, convincing. But I I feel like they thought that if he was in more lighting settings and he was in that makeup for longer, uh, it would it would be hokey after a while. It almost follows the same logic as the Babadook. Did you, did you see the Babadook? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, do you remember the part where we see the Babadook's face, but only like for a split second? Yeah. Just for a second. Yeah. It's sort of like that. And I feel like maybe the Babadook maybe inadvertently took, uh, inspiration from at least something like this because it really reminded me of that shot where you don't need to see much you just need to be left with an impression of something terrifying and from that you can be unsettled you know for as long as the movie needs you to though it does end immediately after that um 
I, I think that's the only way that this short falls victim is in a few kind of hokey line deliveries and some horror tropes it falls into. Yeah. Uh, like the mom hides in the most obvious places. And instead of she's in this closet, right? The supply closet. And instead of grabbing like a spray, there's like a sp- I saw a spray up there where if you sprayed it in somebody's eyes, that's going to disorient them for a while. But instead, she just picks up. I don't know. What is that? A crowbar or something? And she just kind of pokes him with it instead of like grabbing something that would probably be a better weapon uh and also she hides in the car even though he sees her get into the car so what what's her plan here um yeah. and then the the garage door won't open she's trying to hit the button and it won't open of course it won't oh, the car course. won't start so it's all those classic tropes but i think it's all saved by the atmosphere of the short and by the ultimate reveal of what bobby looks like um I was expecting more of him, like you said, but it does work for just those couple frames where we see him. Yeah, I, you know, I, I watched this quite a while ago. I mean, quite a while, maybe a year or two ago when I was going through horror films of 1977. I had not seen it before that, even though I was a Dan Curtis fan. Um, and on initial watch, I thought, oh, this is the best. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is like the doll from Trilogy of Terror. This is it. But then, you know, on rewatch, it didn't hold up as well. I still like it, but I, you begin to notice, like, you know, for example, what you pointed out. There are times when the child actor, who's, I, I think he was doing okay, but he does kind of ham it up a bit at times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a little, little overboard. Um, so I... It didn't hold up as well, but I do still like it. I would not say that this is would probably be even in the top five of adaptations of the Monkey's Paw. I mean, if you want to see a really good um, movie inspired by the Monkey's Paw, you know, see um, Dead of Night or Death Dream by Bob Clark, who also directed the same year, Black Christmas. And Mm -hmm. it was also the first special effects theatrical gig for, you know. No, hit me with it. Tom Savini. Yeah, okay. This guy's been in everything. Tom Savini, how (laughs) far back do his credits go? Well, he did mainly, if you watch the Tom Savini documentary on on Shudder, Mm -hmm. he did mainly throughout the 70s uh, theater work. Mm Mm-hmm. And he he did a lot of acting and and even musicals um, in, like, local theater. And but he would also do all of the set design and makeup and all that kind of stuff in theater. So he spent most of his time doing theater and he was doing theater down south when he met. I think it was Alan Ormsby who wrote Death Dream. And so he ended up doing special effects on Death Dream, which was shot in Florida with Bob Clark. And so and then that led him to doing stuff with George Romero and his career just kind of, you know, just rocketed from there it's it's a good doc it, the documentary is not very well shot it's not a great documentary but for anybody who's a fan of savini's work it's it, it's worth a watch and so he does talk about how all that went by and that's also on shutter so you could should check that out but you also need to find death dream or dead of night it goes by a couple different names 1974 bob clark uh movie it's it's very good is that the one about the soldier who returns home after yes. the war 
Yes. I, I've seen so much about that, but I haven't given it a watch yet, so I think I might have to tune in for that. Uh, it's one of those things where I feel like the world will keep, you know, pushing it in my face. I'll keep seeing YouTube uh, videos about it recommended to me until I actually watch it, and then I'll hear nothing of it. Uh, it's like it's like everything's trying to tell me to watch that movie. Oh, yeah. it's And, and it used to be able you could find it like on Shudder or Vimeo or something like that, and mm-hmm. and it's it is definitely worth it. But yeah, on this one, I, I would still go about a se- still 7 out of 10 on it. Yeah, for me, it's a 7.5, just uh, barely beating out uh, – the there's no such thing of uh as is it there's no such thing as vampires is that the name of the second short yeah i think so something like that yeah i think bobby uh narrowly uh kind of beats that out but they're both really really good uh i think they're both league superior than the first one and i kind of wish we would have gotten something more in the vein of the second two instead of the first one maybe put that one on you know like a tv show that's more suited for it rather than this movie um because the second two are are horror centric they're either like dramatic horror or more direct kind of like uh uh, monkey paul that urban legend style of horror so I would say overall, I don't know if we're ready to get to our ratings of the of the movie overall as, as a holistic piece of media, uh, but I kind of averaged them. You know, go with for it. So what was your what was your average? What'd you come out with? My average is like a seven, a si- because it shifted a little bit. It's a six point five to a seven, so probably six point seven five would be the best rating for it. Um, I would say that Creepshow, Creepshow Two, and Cat's Eye are better uh, anthology horror movies, just because those feel more thematically whole and that uh, they're more uh, horrific. I don't know. That's I took the words, uh, you know, horrific and horror centric and put them together, but you get the idea. Yeah. I feel like this is more of a mystery thriller kind of anthology thing rather than a horror thing, which I was expecting more of a of a of a horror anthology from the poster and from you know the second two shorts. So six point seven five out of ten for me. I don't know that all horror fans will like it, but definitely if you're a fan of that theatrical melodramatic like uh, thriller kind of thing, you I think you'll dig this or at least maybe not it, it won't go on any of your top 10 lists but it might just be an entertaining watch and that might be enough for you okay yeah i i think i originally gave it a 7.5 uh when i watched it originally but it's fallen a bit on a rewatch i'd say 6.5 to 7 is is a uh, solid rating i call it a stream and i mm-hmm. said like i said uh before you can watch it on 2b tv or shutter um, a shutter has a really good, I think, print of it for yeah. 77 TV movie. Um, and on shutter, uh, viewers have given it four out of five skulls. So mm-hmm. people seem to like it. Um, yeah. Horror anthologies. Um, they're always to me, there's always, it's always hit or miss. It's typically at least one that I like. I enjoyed the, the VHS, you know, anthology. I do love, creep show the original creep show if nothing else just to see ed harris try to dance <laughs> yeah. um, and i think creep show 2 is also uh, a worthy sequel though not as straight up terrifying as the first one. Oh no no, no. 
Thanks for the ride, lady. Um, and I do like the the creep show too with the the uh, Native American guy. That whole short is hilariously. Uh, it's just something to behold. Watch it with your friends just to see that uh, statue, that wooden statue of this Native American skinning a guy. It's great stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's creep show. I love creep show too. Um, I saw it in theater. I originally I hated it. I didn't think it was very good. I was a big Stephen King reader at the time. I'd read everything he had written at that time because I was about 15 or so um, and literally lived a half a, now a quarter of a mile from the, the one of the two movie theaters around. So I would go every week and I caught Creepshow 2 on opening night. I remember being kind of disappointed. Um, I remember the raft sticking out to me, that yeah. segment. Though on rewatch, when I rewatched it um, maybe six, seven months ago, little disturbed by the behavior of some of the male characters um mm-hmm. yeah that that wouldn't pass today there would definitely no. be a cancellation of that oh uh, you'd be rooting for the the sludge is what you'd be exactly. re- rooting for here yeah. yep oh man all right so yeah i say it's a 6.5 to 7 you say the same it's worth a watch especially if you like those 70s kind of if you liked Trilogy of Terror or, you know, The Night Stalker, The Night Stalker is another one you need to check out. Have you ever seen The Night Stalker or The Night, the Night Stalker or The Night Strangler? Either one of those? No, I haven't. But oh, I'm it's not. Very good. I think I might be of thinking of the wrong one. Is that the one where it was a foreign film and then it was adapted for an American audience? Or am I thinking of something? There? Is that The Night Watchman or something? Night yeah, Watch? Yeah, you're thinking Night Watch. Mm, okay, so no, yeah. I haven't seen Night Strangler or Night Stalker, but I, I definitely will add those to my watch list because I found this oddly charming. Just uh, it's it's not it's not super scary. Like there there's no uh, you know lock your doors and close your windows. It's not that terrifying. But there's something just like it's like a campfire kind of thing. You'd sit down with your friends and and like you said, drink soda and, and eat popcorn and watch this on TV. It feels like one of those movies. It's it's like a fun get together kind of movie not something that'll leave you scarred like the babadook uh or or something along those lines babadook. yeah i rewatched that just about a month ago yeah that thing freaks me out um uh yeah it feels very 1977 as well so if you can mm-hmm. remember that age and i can i can remember um i have vague memories of watching like the six million dollar man you know around that time and and um even watching Happy Days, though I wasn't a huge fan of Happy Days, mm-hmm. um, but I, I but it feels very much like that time, and so mm-hmm. there's a bit of nostalgia there for somebody like me as well. If you live during the '70s, I think that you'll you know find that you know at least kind of pleasant. But um, so anyway, folks, stick around to hear what we're going to discuss um, next time because I've made my pick <laughs> for our next Ooh, no. episode. No, no, no. I, 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 I had seriously thought about, Oh, we just got to start Fulci or we got to mm-hmm. start Argento or we got to start, but I'm going to hold off on those till like their birthdays or something like that. And then maybe we'll do a, a Fulci tribute an Argento tribute though. There's you know not much to attribute tri- to Argento after like 1990, but anyway, <laughs> um, in my opinion, anyway, um, But, uh, yeah, I'll make my pick here in a minute. But uh, until then, folks, we do appreciate you listening. We know that a lot of people have been very kind on Twitter talking about how they're having to be quarantined. And so what are they doing? They're listening to podcasts, and one of their podcasts they're listening to is us, which was very nice. Um, Mm -hmm. And we hope you're all safe. Stay safe. 
stay, you know, follow. I uh, had arguments with people at church about this. Yes, the CDC and the NIH, the doctors there at least, know what they're talking about. Follow their advice. Let me tell you something. As a minister's kid and as a minister for the last 20-odd years, every time somebody's got something physically wrong with them and they say, ah, doctors, what do they know? I always think in my head, well, you're going to be dead in six months. <laughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> sorry, and I have <coughs> a little bit of a cough, too. Speaking uh -oh. of all this, I know. It started yesterday. Um Stay about six feet away from from people. Um, wash your hands for 20 seconds often. Try not to touch your face, though I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just just be wise and listen to the experts so that we can get through this. You know, I'm not look, I'm not worried if I have coronavirus right now. Um, and I don't think I, I do. Um, I just have chronic sinus problems every time the weather changes like it has mm -hmm. here. Um, but if I have the coronavirus, I'm not worried about me. I'll just have two or three bad days. Um, but if I give it to somebody who has emphysema mm -hmm. or somebody with a serious heart condition, they it could kill them. Right. And, and so, you know, just, just be smart, be selfless. And for goodness sakes, quit hoarding toilet paper. I know. What is with that phenomenon? I, I, I see don't people know. at the store today with two shopping carts full of toilet paper. Oh, Why do you sake. need that much? This is a respiratory illness. Explosive mm -hmm. diarrhea is not a symptom. Yeah, Calm maybe down. if we were living in the 1600s and dysentery was a big problem, then oh, you stock up on toilet paper. Gosh. Uh, there was, I went to the grocery store uh, today after church, which we didn't hold services. We streamed them online. So I was preaching to an empty building that seats a thousand, which that is weird. But weird. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. Um, but, you know, I went to the grocery store afterwards. Obviously, I put hand sanitizer on before and after and all. I kind of didn't touch anybody. Um, took an, uh, a um, napkin to pick stuff up, all that kind of stuff. And I walk into the aisle to get... I went to get uh, paper towels because we were low on paper towels. Got plenty of toilet paper. But I went in to get paper towels and there was no toilet paper and like two rolls of paper towels. And I'm like, folks, folks, folks. <laughs> I mean, I, I seriously think I have here a bottle of hand, a full unopened bottle of hand sanitizer and a six pack of Charmin that I think I could trade in this area for a pickup truck and an AR-15 right now. I mean, yep. it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. But uh, all that being said, just stay safe. We want you all to be safe. We're glad people are listening to the podcast while they're quarantining themselves. But you know what? We'll, we'll sacrifice the listenership for you guys just to be healthy and be able to get out and do what you want, go to the theater, all that kind of stuff. So, and darn it, they canceled March Madness, which you know how much I love college basketball. Oh, yep. this is painful. And uh, movie releases as well. So it's affecting and, us theater. Oh. Uh, Pushback, Quiet Place 2. Oh, man. Anyway, so, um, but until then, please rate, review, and subscribe. We would appreciate a five-star review over at iTunes. You can check out our website at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com, which since I'll be quarantining myself this week, I'll maybe be blogging, maybe, um, as well as our accounts on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a closed Facebook page, which you can access through my account. So uh, by our next episode, I started it, just didn't get a chance to finish it. By our next episode, we will have a Patreon page as well. So 
go on it. And for as little as $2.50 a month, just that's all we're asking, uh, you can help make sure that this show continues and that you can help put an aspiring horror filmmaker through film school. So you'll be doing something good. So anyway, um, where can they find you online, buddy? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. That's one word. And I've also got a YouTube channel, which I do plan on uploading to. I know it's been a while, but I've got two videos in the works right now. So you can find that link to my bio on both those websites. Yes, and Captain Trips is keeping you home from school this week. I know, yeah. I've got no excuse. That's right. That's right. So they can find me uh, as Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. And um, so... I thought a lot about what to pick for our next show. Um, I uh, got a kind email from Gilman Joel over at Horror Movie Podcast and Retro Movie Geek and and Gods and Monsters. And um, Joel, I I saw that they had planned to cover Fish Called Wanda for Retro Movie Geek. <laughs> and I said, oh, I love that movie. And, and, and you won't remember this because you were too young. You were literally a baby. But you and I both several times met John Cleese. Because he was he was uh, teaching comedy writing at Cornell at the time. And oh so yeah, we, no, I, I remember that. I think I said "goo goo gaga" to him. I think <laughs> yeah. those are my first words. You were a baby, uh, but I remember pushing you along one time, and he stopped and smiled at you and, and said hi to me because we had had a breakfast exchange one morning at the I think it was called the Moose Cafe downtown in Ithaca. But um, so I thought uh, anyway, they were they were going to do uh, Fish Called Wanda. They decided to go high class and record Outbreak today. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, very topical. They're just trying to distract people, though. They're trying to keep people, you know, from the reality. Oh, the man. And uh, I actually joked to you about doing quarantine, about yeah. doing the movie Quarantine. <laughs> and, of course, Joel. Oh, man. <laughs> God love him. I, gotta love, I love those guys. I love that. The best podcast, movie podcast where people constantly just talk over each other is, re- is Retro Movie Geek. <laughs> to be it's fair, fantastic. we do the same thing, though. I just interrupted you to, to, to put that little interjection in. That's true. But they constantly talk over poor Peter. Peter, Peter, such a nice guy. Oh, man. I got And we want to have Peter on the show at some point. We have all those guys on the show, though. I'm pretty sure Daryl just hates horror movies, period. So, um, But anyway... I, I'm going to go something with a little more recent because we've been going back a lot. So I thought, well, let's do something a little more recent. But I do like to pick things still that are fairly widely available, something mm-hmm. that's either on Shutter or Netflix or Amazon Prime. So I found uh, a movie that's celebrating its fifth anniversary. That's on Amazon Prime. It is a Western horror action movie starring Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, the great Richard Jenkins, David Arquette, as well as the late Sid Haig, I'm talking about Bone Tomahawk. Uh, Also written and directed by S. Craig Zoller, known for, among other things, Brawl and Cell Block 99, which is a horror-adjacent model. Oh, yeah. It's Vaughn. So it is is a Western. It, Mm -hmm. It is a little slow at times, but trust me, oh, boy, does it go there. And so... I'm just saying, just especially near the end, it gets gets brutal. So prepare yourself for bone tomahawk. I would not be eating, you know, I don't know, uh, any kind of sausage or any kind of that thing near the end. Oh, no. So I wouldn't be I just wouldn't be eating anything 
red and meaty or anything like that near the end oh, of, of Tomahawk. Do that so, to me. Oh. <laughs> so um, that's what we're covering next time. And next time could be soon because I'm quarantining. You know, Jackson's out of school on a break. So we may do a podcast or two this week on top of our regular ones if we can um, coax our lovely editor, Megan, into into doing that and to edit it. work her too hard. <laughs> so, I mean, she's got her own thing going on right now. She's recording uh, episodes of The Bold Ministry, and now we're out here, you know, making her edit hour-long podcasts. I know. I know. She's I cracking know. the whip. What can I say? What can I say? Well, anyway, uh, folks, join us next time. We appreciate it. And so, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember not to race any trains. No, don't do that. I used to be a train lawyer, for goodness sakes, in West Virginia. That's a bad idea. And people especially in West Virginia, not, they do try yeah, to do it. Especially not if you're driving an old Playboy you know, automobile. That's not a good idea. You're not going to make it. Yeah, you're not going to make it. No, those things go like about as fast as a golf cart. So, anyway... We will see you next time. Stay safe. We're, we're thoughts and prayers with all of you. But remember, the family that watches horror movies together slays together. See you next time.